Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as the latest research and how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the CAA podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Now, what does it take to be a successful practitioner? Many things, I guess. Uh, You'd hope that you would have good clinical skills. You'd hope you know how to adjust and be fairly competent at that. Experience, yes, that makes a big difference. I certainly would prefer to be adjusted by myself today than uh, myself as a new graduate 28 years ago. But certainly one thing that always comes up is communication. It really is a key, not only in terms of communicating to patients, communicating to your staff, to the community, to other health practitioners. And it works both ways in that if you are a good communicator, you can really inspire people to um, understand the reasons for their care and really get engaged in their care. If you're a good communicator, you can pick up on the subtle things that uh, the body language that people are telling you. So it's a two-way street. It's not just about what you tell people. It's picking up those cues. And it also, I guess, can work in a negative sense that if you're not a good communicator, you're far more likely not only to have a a practice that doesn't thrive, but potentially have problems uh, with uh, complaints. Certainly the board and the CAA have noticed that many complaints that come in about chiropractors come down to communication rather than uh, problems with the actual practice that was uh, performed. Well, today we've got one of our experts in communication. Um, Martin Harvey, you may have seen uh, his Whiteboard Wednesday emails. Uh, he has a, a business called InsideOutPractices.com where he specialises in all, these, all things to do with communication. Martin's uh, inspired by the potential that chiropractic care has to transform health of our communities. He's the immediate past president of the Australian Spinal Research Foundation and is a sought-after speaker. Leading, uh, he leads a multi-doctor practice in Melbourne. He's an expert, as I said, in the art of chiropractic communication strategies and teaches this to chiropractors not only in Australia but around the world. In 2012, Martin was awarded Chiropractor of the Year for CA Victoria. And in 2010, Parker Seminars gave him the International Chiropractor of the Year gong. So Martin, thank you so much for being uh, a part of the CA podcast today. Oh, thanks so much. It's great to have an opportunity to have a chat and, uh, yeah, help people with their communication skills. Now, you and I go a long way back. I think um, I first met you when you came down um, from Sydney to practice. Right. I think then you were back in, in Albert Park. But maybe yeah. just for, for others who don't know you so well, um, can you give a little bit of a, a snapshot of, you know, where you came to be uh, in today and, and particularly your interest in patient communication? Yeah, so I guess the two of them parallel themselves in that I uh, got into chiropractic because we had a family experience of chiropractic, but probably didn't have a super good idea of chiropractic. Uh, We went to see the chiropractor semi-regularly, but I didn't perhaps have that big picture idea of the, the scope and range of impact that chiropractic could have. 
but it looked like a pretty cool lifestyle. The chiropractor that we saw got to surf pretty regularly, had a, a nice sports car, <laughs> all things that looked pretty appealing to me. Yes. So I went into chiropractic, I guess, with that perspective of it was going to be a way to have a cool life and things that were more connected to me getting something out of it. And kind of the bridge to being interested very much in the communication part of it happened uh, with a series of events where I went through Macquarie Uni uh, around the same sort of era as you. I think I might be one year less in practice than you. And we, uh, I, I was quite a way in. I think I was in third year and I went to one of the very first uh, DGs up on the Gold Coast. And I don't really remember anything specific that was said or that it was one speaker that transformed my perspective. But I really definitely remember feeling completely different coming out of that completely connected to, wow, this vision that chiropractic could help people live healthier, happier, more active lives. And at that time, there was sort of a pivotal moment for me where I was now interested in chiropractic less for what it could give me and more for what I felt like it could give to the world. And the thing that happened along with that, though, was I kind of came what I now to think of as like a chiroevangelist or a chiropractic arsehole or whatever you want, <laughs> you know, that style of the, the, the and you, I know you would have heard the same thing, that the job, if you were wanting to help more people, was to tell the story and to kind of ram this chiropractic agenda down people's throat and try and shake them out of their symptom-treating ways to this better way of living their lives. And yes. so I did that for a number of years. And, you know, when you and I met in the probably early 90s when I shifted from Sydney down to Melbourne, that was very much the way that I was looking to run my practice was along that. My job was to tell people what they should be doing and correct them as aggressively as need be from uh, not living according or not choosing to use chiropractic in the way that I felt like it should have been used. So, that was uh, that was sort of the path that I was on, and it was probably more of a wearing down process because the reality is the majority of people that we, if we look at that kind of chiropractic belief system about the body being self-healing, self-regulating, self-developing, the nervous system being this master control system and all of all of that, and chiropractic therefore having this potential to by removing interference to the nervous system, have this broad impact in global well-being, that has embedded in it a whole lot of uh, beliefs that are very different to the people that we're interacting with. Yes. And uh, so it ends up, if you're wanting to do that really my way or the highway kind of style of practice like I was doing initially, there's a lot of running, ramming into people with different belief systems which can get a bit wearing. So... Uh, it's not quite an epiphany because it probably happened a little bit more slowly than that. But I, I started to think, well, surely there must be other people out there who are trying to change people's uh, behaviour, that they're trying to get their idea to have an impact out in the world. And so I started reading in that area and I've since discovered that there's a whole uh, lot of research in that area called the influence literature and there's a whole lot of disciplines that do research into this. So it started off in psychology. Um, so some of the listeners have probably heard of Robert Cialdini, who's sort of seen as the godfather in this area. He's a psychologist. 
there's a whole lot of other people interested in it. So um, behavioural economists are really big in terms of research in this area. And there's a couple of people who've won Nobel Prizes who are in that area. So Richard Thaler won a Nobel Prize last year and Daniel Kahneman and a whole bunch of other people and marketers and neuroscientists. So I started reading a lot in that area. And so probably the last 22, 23 years, I've been kind of diving deep into that. And the influence literature, the reason I think it's so useful for us as chiropractors is it really looks to answer a couple of questions, which is why do people do what they do and what can we do to ethically influence them to make decisions that serve them better? Mm. And I think that's a really useful structure for our communication and the, the things that we want to do. If we've got this great idea called chiropractic or a chiropractic lifestyle, how can we use state-of-the-art approaches to make that impact because in a lot of ways the chiropractic uh, ideas around the way that you should communicate it they, they come from a very different time uh, they come from you know probably originated with Parker in the 40s and 50s and were fabulous for that time the truth is that things have changed a lot and we need to evolve with it yes we're a much more sophisticated society today we have um social media and people have access to information like they never have had before and uh, for good reason um, doubt people doubt authority um, and, and, and so I think that as that as you said that the, the sort of uh, communication strategies that we were um, taught in our very young days as chiropractors certainly seem very antiquated um, today for, for me for a number of reasons one is because I from a just a purely respect, uh, perspective. I think uh, there was a lot of that stuff was all about talking to them rather than listening and understanding the patient's point of view. Uh, and I think it was Bill Esteb many, many years ago, I think I wrote a book uh, in, with that uh, title. A yep. And also because, um, you know, it, for, for just better results, you know, uh, ultimately this is what we're after. So, so what are the key things do you think that you see that has changed in the last 5, 10 or, or 20 years as as far as communication is concerned, how do you do it differently today than what you did way yeah. back then? So I think if I, you almost gave the core answer of it there is that there's a very different information environment in which we practice. So you and I are old enough to remember a time when if you were looking for information and in particular health-related information, you actually had to actively search it out. You had to look it up in an encyclopedia that could be years or decades out of date or mm. go to the local library and use the Dewey Decimal System to find the book and hope that it was on the shelf. Or yes. if it was more obscure, I don't know whether you remember those um, microfiche machines yes. where it was sort of staring through a, almost a microscope and trying to get it. Anyway, the, the point of it is in the era in which that us just telling people information worked was when there was very low blocking and filtering of information coming in because there were, it was hard to get information. And so requiring people to come to your practice for a healthcare class where they gave up an evening to better understand why they needed care was something that was more palatable than it is now. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those kind of things, but I'm just saying the environment is quite different. Whereas now some of the statistics that uh, have been published around the amount of information people have access to. I mean, you know, the simple version is you've got access to all of human knowledge from the smartphone in your pocket rather than having to 
search for information, but it comes with it like a bombarding of information. The availability of, uh, inf of information means that the average person is estimated to have about 3,000 marketing messages aimed at them a day across all the different channels. If you just look at email, the average person receives about 300 emails a, a week uh, and they check their phone up to 150 times a day. So wow. there's, there's this very different information environment in which we practice, which means when we're looking either outside our practice or inside our practice wanting to give information to people, the sort of scattergun, same message to everyone approaches, just don't get through anymore because the we block and filter information. You can't process 3,000 messages a day for meaning, you have to ignore the vast majority of them. And so uh, there's a couple of filters that happen. First of all, people, unless they see it as very, very relevant to them, you ignore it. And you relate to that yourself. You just, mm. you, the vast majority of stuff that comes across, whether it's pop-up ads or you Google search something, you ignore all the ones on the right-hand side. There's all these things that we automatically do as sensory survival strategies because of this bombardment. Yes, indeed. And um, so it, the, the key thing then is that if we do want to get our message out to people, it's still an incredibly valuable message. There's no difference in, in fact, there's probably more relevance now than there ever was where uh, the, a lot of the health issues that people are experiencing, the chronic health issues, the lifestyle-related health issues, the opioid crisis, the obesity crisis, while getting adjusted isn't the only solution to it, the getting adjusted plus that um, recognition of that self-healing, self-regulating, self-developing potential of the body are significant steps in a positive direction around many of those issues. And so it's still a highly relevant uh, message. We've just got to get better at getting it to people in a way that's um, going to get through that filtering. And so the thing, if you look at big picture, what I would, uh, what I do differently and what I think chiropractors need to do differently is understand those two things of relevance and value, and in particular, individualized uh, value is kind of the critical point to making your message cut through the clutter. So speaking of individualizing your message, let, let's talk about the different age groups. Obviously, the baby boomers uh, uh, grew up without you know, social media. You and I, yeah. you know, grew up initially without it and then came onto it late. Uh, y gens, Z gens, uh, and whatever the next uh, generation behind them <laughs> are called, yeah. uh, they, they've obviously immersed very much into that. Do yeah. you tailor your communication for particular age groups as well as particular individuals? Well, yes and no, in that there's tendencies in different age groups in terms of what's relevant. Um, the key thing that is also different is that there's, uh, with that bombardment of information, some of the data around this is that attention spans have dwindled. They used to talk about it being about 20 seconds that people had to really uh, ponder whether they were going to pay attention to something. About uh, 10 years ago, that was down to 12 seconds. Most recently, it's down to about five seconds. So the younger people are in general, and this is a cliche, so like all cliches, they're not 
entirely true, but not entirely without truth either. Um, with younger people, you're going to need to get to the point a fair bit quicker or get the point of what's relevant, what's in it for them much more quickly. Yes. The key thing, though, then I would look at tailoring communication. Um, if we're looking at we've got to make it in a way that makes it relevant to them first before they're ever going to pay attention. And so relevance can be in a couple of different ways. We can make something chiropractic relevant to the benefit that is unique to them. So, you know, if I get to know you a little bit and I know that for you, there's a couple of things that are really big kind of lifestyle values for you. Like I know you're a keen cyclist You've got a big value around having uh, real quality time with your family and there's a big focus on your career and your contribution uh, to the community through the association. Then I'm going to, if I can make chiropractic relevant to you in terms of benefiting those things, then it's a lot more uh, likely to be valuable to you than if I just generically talk a whole lot about subluxation and subluxation degeneration. Does yep. that kind of make sense at first purposes? That, go on, sorry. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, in terms of a practical sense, one of the things that um, uh, that is a challenge, I guess, is expectations and what yeah. you know what we have as chiropractors and what we see as a likely outcome with a patient and what their expectation is. So the the impatient um, patient um, <laughs> yes. who who, um, who perhaps uh, is likely to drop out of the care just before your experience tells you if they just hang in there a couple more visits, you know things are going to turn for them. H how do you sort of uh, tackle that? What Address communication that. strategies do you use there? Okay, yeah, yeah. So one, what's interesting in that sort of scenario with the impatient patient is that it's really built on very different health beliefs. So. The first sort of principle of the influence literature generally is people do what they do because they believe what they believe. And beliefs aren't necessarily conscious or objectively thought out. They're just what we have. I believe that this is the way it is. So if we look at our interaction with patients, they're often, um, particularly those impatient patients, they're what I might describe as a symptomatic level of health belief, which is the belief that you can tell how healthy you are by how you feel, uh, that you go to a healthcare provider just when you had symptoms and as soon as those symptoms went, you'd stop. Or if they didn't change very quickly, you'd stop because that was probably never going to work with you, work for you. And chiropractors often are at the other end of a, a continuum of health beliefs where uh, we have what I would think of as a lifestyle level of health belief where we really look at uh, healthcare is about helping your body work at its best so that you can live the healthiest, happiest, most active life that you possibly can and that proactively looking after your body is what healthcare is about and it helps you do all everything in life better but most specifically the things that you love to do you have to do as you see as part of your role or identity to do and so they're very different belief systems that would require very different behaviors and we will often because that's the way we see the world we'll be trying to talk to them in ways that have relevance to our belief system without necessarily starting off at the level that they're at yeah. so there's one level in between which is what i would think of as a functional level of health awareness which is where the recognition that before you have symptoms something has to first of all not work properly yeah and 
Um, the, and people who are at that level are a bit more patient than the impatient symptomatic level health awareness people because they recognize the sort of value of prevention and rehab. So if I just shorten it up so that I can tie it in a neat bow, we've yes. got our impatient people at a pain level of health awareness, priority is pain. Next level people have a priority around pre prevention and the highest level are really about performance. What we need to do if we've got a performance mindset is start off at a pain level and bridge to a prevention level because that their brain's going to stretch stretch that far, um, and also use a couple of other things like what's a, a communication strategy called a schema to help them see their circumstance from a different perspective. So, moving beyond theory into something really just a practical, almost role playing with it. If you were somebody coming to me. You've been coming in for a couple of weeks and you I can sense that you, you're about to be out the door or you're telling me you're about to be out the door. The First of all, I need to recognize that you've got a set of beliefs that make that seem like the logical thing to do. So I, if I make you wrong for thinking that, mm. it's not really that likely to work that well. So first thing I do is ask permission because what permission does at a... Uh, neurological level is it tends to reduce your blocking and filtering. So if we say, for example, you've said to me, I don't think this is working for me, you know, I'm ready to be out the door. I'd say to you something like, look, completely understand where you're coming from, Anthony. Would it be okay if I just explained a slightly different perspective that you might want to be aware of? Right. And that pause there is for the most critical part of this permission strategy is I have to wait for you to say yes. Yes. Because once you say yes, when I then give you my chiropractic perspective, the blocking and filtering is way, way lower. You're much more likely to, to let an idea in that you wouldn't normally consider because you've essentially given permission. When it comes in, you go, well, I'm not going to take offense at this. I'm not going to debate this because I asked for it in a way. Yes. So the schema idea is that we can take new ideas, more complex ideas on uh, much more, uh, we're much more able to take them on if we already have an existing model in our head um, that, that transposes a more complex idea into this situation. So in that scenario, the schema that I would use is soft tissue healing timeframes. So most people in our Australian communities have a surprising level of understanding of soft tissue healing timeframes because of the popularity of Australian rules football, rugby league and rugby union. Yes, um, Yeah, so most people know that soft tissues, muscles heal faster than ligaments and that they take a certain period of time. So the yep. way that that might work is I've asked you permission and then I say to you, so Anthony, one thing that's probably really important for you to understand is that problems in the spine are similar to problems elsewhere in the body, whether it's a knee problem or a hip problem or whatever else, in that as well as the joint problem, there's often an impact on the surrounding soft tissues that has to kind of resolve or heal before the spine's going to work better. Does that kind of make sense? It certainly does. Okay. So from your understanding, do you follow the footy at all, Anthony? Uh, unfortunately, I'm a bomber supporter. Oh, okay, yes. Well, that probably brings up a different discussion in terms of performance yes. enhancement, but we won't Indeed. go there. Um, so, okay, so from your with your spine, it's probably likely that some of the ligaments and some of the muscles will have been involved with the problem that you have. 
So from your understanding, how long do they typically take to, to heal or resolve? Like if somebody did a, a, a ligament injury in their knee, how long is that likely to be an issue for? Well, I guess an ACL is a uh, season-ending injury, uh, uh, at, yeah. at least half a season at best. Yeah, and so there are some others where if you didn't completely tear through it, when we know you probably haven't torn through ligaments, but if there were ligaments involved, broad rough figure is it's probably going to be three months, 12 weeks is in an elite athlete that that's going to take to sort things out. And muscles are, you know, do you have an idea of how long they're typically? So if we're talking about a hamstring strain, that's probably a two to four week injury if it's not too yeah. bad. That's in an elite athlete with access to you know, 24 hour a day rehab. So we also have to factor in that you know neither of us are elite athletes anymore. Not, mm. No events. Fortunately not. <laughs> okay, so we're a couple of weeks into working with this, Anthony. So can you sort of see that in terms of those other timeframes, we're still pretty early on in the process. And would it be okay if I just asked you to just kind of be patient for a little while and give your body a little bit more of a chance? Is that something that you can take on? I'd say that's reasonable. And I'm assuming, just to, to cut in there, Martin, that this is something that you've already pre-set with them prior yeah, to going. Yeah. You, you're not backpedaling, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the of the journey. You, you've already pre-framed a lot of these things before I've, they've started care. A hundred percent. So I would use the soft tissue healing schema early on in their care when I was mapping out a program of care. But yep. People are busy, people forget. Yes. And in that scenario of somebody who was impatient, even if you hadn't done that and it's somebody who's listened to the podcast who this is resonating with somebody that they're working with at the moment, I was doing that role play as if they've never heard of the concept before. You're right. Because it's such an embedded schema, it works really well. The yes. last part of that with me asking for your agreement to a course of action also taps into one of the central strategies within the influence literature, which is called consistency, which is if people verbally commit to following a certain course of action, they're much more likely to follow through. So a real large amount of research in that area that is reported in their literature. And so really simple tweaks to your communication that can have a powerful effect. But the biggest impact, as you say, is structuring in, it into your communication so it's pre-framed so that they have those that model of understanding from the very beginning. Very good. Um, now, what about... Um you know, unfortunately, from time to time, there's negative things that come up about uh, the chiropractic profession. You know, it's dangerous, it can cause strokes, it's unscientific. Um, in my experience, these things come up only occasionally in, in, in with patients, but they do yep. come up from time to time. Um, how do you deal with these? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right that we get a different pool of people inside our practice. Where they do come up, more so and where you really want to make sure that you've got the skills to be able to address them is if you're getting outside your practice. So if you're looking to grow your practice and part of that is networking or part of that is speaking to groups or part of that is interacting with other health professionals, whatever it is, you're more likely to run into it. And a lot of people mm. uh, will get this sort of feedback in social situations. Yeah. And so, and the, the reason that I love chiropractors to get great at doing this is even if you don't need to address those issues, knowing that you know how to is actually a real bolster for your certainty and your willingness to engage people about in a positive way about chiropractic because you know, well, if it were to 
go down that pathway, I know how to address it. Yes. So the, the reason that they are so difficult, those situations, is, again, it's that slightly confrontational thing, and it's, again, often uh, embedded in a difference in belief system. And we, as humans, we're wired to find differences in belief much more stressful than they actually should be because we're these sort of cavemen who are wired to that social cohesion is really important if you're a hunter-gatherer in a tribe of 150 people it's really important for your survival so we tend to feel these things as disproportionately stressful more stressful than they need to be two really simple strategies the first one i've sort of touched on which is permission if we use permission if somebody was to say for instance i've heard that chiropractic causes strokes i don't want to be aggressively coming back at that saying where did you hear that that's garbage all the literature said you know my insurance is only this amount because chiropractic is demonstrably safe this is all the ama and their misinformation and i'm attacking and ramping it up mm-hmm. it doesn't serve anybody whereas if i say look that's something that we i do hear surprisingly regularly would it be okay if i just offered a different perspective then i'm doing a couple of things i'm lowering that blocking and filtering i'm also making sure that i'm not making you feel like you've been you're being attacked because i'm in asking permission recognizing that it's like there's a slight sensitivity to it that it that it could if i come back too hard that you could be a little affronted by it yes so permission's the first thing um then the 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 other strategy that can you can use either in uh combination with or instead of is a strategy called yes and which is one of my favorite ones comes from the improv theater and rather than trying to say you're wrong for your belief because of Mm. x y and z which is kind of classically the way we do when somebody when we feel a little bit wronged by something being said yes you agree with what they say or that you agree that that's a reasonable thing for them to say first that's the yes part yes and then the end is you just take it in a different direction. So the mm. way that if I use as an example, maybe the, the one that's probably most difficult is the chiropractic is dangerous or causes strokes. I'd say, yeah, look, that is something that we hear um, that, that that's the case. And uh, another perspective is that, say, in case of strokes, what a lot of the research now is suggesting is that rather than chiropractic causing the stroke, that people are having a stroke as part of the early symptoms of having that stroke, they have neck pain or a headache and they go to see the chiropractor because that's something that they've found helpful in the past and then they keep having their stroke. So there's nothing really that the chiropractic has contributed to it. It's just that they've had a symptom that made them see a chiropractor on the way. And the reason we think that that's the most likely one is that the statistics for people having a stroke after seeing a chiropractor are the same as after seeing a medical doctor who's somebody else that you might see for a neck pain or headache. So it's just that um, handling difficult situations, permission and yes and, recognising that it's not necessarily about proving them as quickly wrong as possible. It's about seeing things from the other person's perspective and then presenting an an alternate perspective Chiropractors often initially feel like that I'm not being as strong or as emphatic as I should be. Mm. The stronger and more emphatic and didactic that you feel you are, there's an interesting paradox. You're actually less likely to have an impact on the other person's belief. Whereas if you're more, uh, 
respectful of their, that, that that's an opinion that it's reasonable for them to have gives them the safety to feel like, yeah, okay, I can open up to a different perspective and uh, see that and the, the reciprocal of that is they're more likely to see your perspective as reasonable as well. Yes, the, the calm and gentle authority is far more effective, isn't it? Definitely. Um, so look, Martin, not all chiropractors have the confidence that you do with public speaking, even just the way you've been so eloquent in describing communication skills today, which I'd expect nothing less from you, by the way. But what about the person who doesn't feel so so confident uh, getting up and speaking to people, the, the less extroverted? Um, yeah. How do they sort of uh, manage their communication? Yeah. So, and that's really interesting that um, if we think of, sort of personality types and communication one of the things that's really interesting to understand is uh, that idea of uh, introverts versus extroverts so if we think classically of communication who would we expect to be the the better communicator well most people obviously think the extrovert because they're the one doing yeah. the talking yeah and interestingly speaking to chiropractic groups most people don't identify themselves as extroverts now when I do all those personality tests, I come out with a high degree of extroversion. And I always thought that that was a good thing to have. There's a really interesting paradox in this regard, which is uh, people who are extroverted actually tend to have a very high level of confidence in their communication abilities. Unfortunately, if you measure effectiveness, like how well the message is received, how accurately the message is received, how motivated the other person is to take action based on the message, they're actually not as good as a lot of other people. Now, mm. introverts have their own challenges. Interestingly, most people who don't identify as extroverts are actually what are called ambiverts. So they're people who can move more towards extroversion, they can be more introverted, they, they're more sensitive to the environment around them. And chiropractic attracts people who are really motivated to want to help other people. And uh, that outward focus, that focus on wanting to help people often comes coupled in a package called you're an ambivert. So chiropractic audiences are less um, overtly extroverted than most other audiences so this is a really useful thing to understand so the first thing is people who are who don't see themselves as natural communicators often they're a lot more effective than they think they are even though they don't have the confidence and the reason that they're more effective is that their natural instinct is to tend to see things from the other person's perspective so mm. we're kind of looping right back to understanding relevance and values from other people's perspectives. So the yeah. first thing if people are identifying with this question is you're probably a better communicator than you think you are. Yes. The next thing is I actually think this is the golden age for people who are more on the introverted edge and have more introverted sensitive perspectives because of what I was talking about before about the bombardment of messages and the, how cheap it's got to broadcast messages. So yeah. For a lot of us, we're looking for the biggest audience we can to possibly get our message out to. So uh, online digital marketing, how many, if you look at how many uh, emails you get offering you a course or this strategy on 
um, blasting your message out in these already crowded channels. Mm. And there's these very high tech solutions or uh, you and I, who are probably more towards that slightly more extroverted thing, we look at doing talks to groups or in media as a way of getting our messages out because that feels like the way to, to uh, scale it up, so to speak. Mm. The, the bottom line, though, is if you use the, uh, the, the opposite of where people are flooding, if you go to one-on-one and high-touch rather than high-tech, yeah. that's equally as effective as getting your message out. And so I look at the two best ways of being high touch rather than high tech. If you're an extroverted person, get out there and talk to as many groups as you can. Um, learn the skills of being able to talk to groups. If you're not, like if you're the person who you're asking this question about, the number one way that you can grow your practice is actually through networking. And I don't necessarily mean structured networking like a BNI group. I just mean get to know one-on-one people who you already have relationships within the community. Um, there are all these dormant and weak bonds between uh, people that we already have relationships within our community or the people that they have connections with. So if you have a new patient coming into the practice and they have a massage therapist that they have a really strong regard for, touch, ask permission to touch base with them about your approach to their care so that everybody's on the same page. And if yes. there's an initial connection there, catch up for a one-on-one coffee and go with your natural instinct, which is to listen more than you speak, because yeah. that's actually the most effective way of growing that communication. Now, one-on-one, the, the way that more introverted people can work with communication then is permission will give you power. So anytime you feel that, that slight discomfort of, oh, I've got this awkward conversation I need to have with that person, always ask permission first, and it will allow that sensitivity that you naturally feel to be expressed, but also diffuse that sort of tension that you often have around, uh, you haven't been sticking to the care plan, uh, you haven't been doing your exercises, whatever it is that you need to address there. Yeah. Martin, thank you so much for your uh, contribution to the podcast today. It's been absolutely uh, excellent. Uh, I think the one thing, and you didn't actually say the word, but when you sort of mentioned ambivert, I kind of felt like that's where I'm naturally at, uh, even yep. though I do do a lot of you know podcasts and things like that. I, I don't think I'm necessarily a, uh, an extrovert, but um, one of the things that I, when I'm speaking to students or younger chiropractors and talking about these sorts of issues, I always say the most important thing is to be authentic. Learn yeah, all these yep. skills, and these these skills are really, really important. But you know, come from a good place. You know, do your best, and you know, have have the right intentions for the people that you're uh, trying to help. Be authentic, and then you know, if you really love what you do, you'll skill up and and you'll learn the finer details like you've gone through today. Absolutely, yeah, very important uh, mes- message there. Authenticity is the ultimate sort of attractant you'll attract the people who are naturally going to resonate with you and your approach so if you'd like to hear more about what martin has to say and there's a whole heap that we didn't get through uh today but check out uh, insideoutpractices.com uh get onto his uh, whiteboard wednesday uh emails uh, and there'll be a whole lot more information for you there Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to work on your communication skills and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next CAA podcast.